morning, I want to take you and continue taking you on this Joshua journey, which is a journey of faith. And this morning, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We're going to put the scripture up here for you. But John chapter 7, and I realize that's completely away from Joshua, but let me uh, get into this and help you connect. Last week, as John has, has so aptly shared with us, we made some uh, rock decisions. In other words, we, we, we said, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow through. And we, we were in Joshua chapter 4, and, and I love those three words, this is so. This is so. I hope you'll take the time because it's going to be out there. I hope you'll take the time uh, several weeks to look at, at, at what people wrote down on those rocks. And if you have not yet done that, there are rocks out there and there are markers and mark those down and put that down because that's going to be a pivotal reminder to us over the next several months of where God will, will take us. I'm excited. I've got to tell you, I, I woke up uh, Friday morning uh, I very seldom dream, and sometimes if I do, I wouldn't tell anybody about it. <laughs> but I woke up Friday morning after dreaming <laughs> about this church and about you, the people of this church. And I told my wife about it, and she'll verify this. She said, you know, Friday morning, because we talked about it yesterday, she said, Friday morning when you woke up and you started talking, you didn't stop talking, Alan. You just talked for almost an hour and a half as you were fixing breakfast and doing all those things and getting ready to go to work. You were talking about this dream. And, and I gotta tell you that, that I don't put a lot of stock in dreams. I don't, I don't do that, but, but I have to tell you that I sure hope that dream comes true. Because it was a dream of seeing a church come alive and seeing God do some things that only God can do. In my lifetime, I've experienced revival twice. Only twice. I'm, I'm, I've been in a lot of revivals. I've preached hundreds of revivals. That's what they call them. But I've only been in a real revival twice. Once on, on this side of the pond and one on the other side of the pond, so to speak. But I long for that, ladies and gentlemen. I long for a fresh move of God. John chapter 7, verse 37. This is one of the tremendous statements of Jesus in the New Testament regarding the filling of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. And I mean he cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, listen to this, rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Of all the scriptures in the New Testament that talk about being filled with the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit in a person's life, these three verses come closer, I think, than any others to giving us a step-by-step -step way by which we enter into this exchanged life, this Spirit-filled life. Now, I know some of you at Southern Baptist, you're getting nervous right now. 
Because man, this pastor, this transitional pastor, is going to preach about the fullness of the Spirit. Yes, indeed I am. And I'm going to take you through the Scripture because remember there are two stages in the Christian life. There's the stage, you know, and those two stages are best illustrated by what we've been looking at. The experience of Israel as it came out of Egypt in salvation. And then the Bible says they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and then they crossed over into Canaan. Now the scriptures say that we can go back and we can look at that experience of Israel as it was led out of Egypt into the wilderness and through the wilderness into the promised land. And that is a picture of our own Christian experience. In their experience, there were two definite stages. There was, first of all, the crossing at the Red Sea. That was deliverance from, from Egypt. Now, I'm an old-fashioned Southern Baptist pastor in regards to this. There are many, many who believe that somehow that actually didn't happen, that they crossed over on stones that were right below the surface of the water, and so they crossed over. That would have been even more of a miracle for me, okay? So I would tell you, though, that Egypt in the Bible always is a picture of lostness. And it was out of that bondage in which Satan had men held, and so people of Israel were held by that bondage, and they were led out of Egypt when they crossed the Red Sea. That night God said, the death angel will pass over Egypt, and every home in which they do not find the blood to that, uh, applied to that doorpost, the death angel would take the life of the firstborn. That night the believing Jews put blood over the doorpost of their homes, and when the death angel flew over and saw the blood, he passed over them. They were led out of Egypt through the Red Sea, a miraculous deliverance of God for his own people. And when the nation of Israel would look back to a time of their salvation, their time of deliverance, they would always go back to the Red Sea. For them, the passage of the Red Sea was their redemption, their salvation. That's the first stage in the Christian life. The second stage is symbolized by the crossing over the Jordan, just what we've been through over the last three weeks. Contrary to what, what hymns say, Jordan, Jordan is not dying physically and Canaan is not heaven. Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, most of us sing uh, about talking, we, we think about Canaan being heaven, but Canaan in the Bible never typifies or symbolizes heaven. It typifies the promised land, the abundant life, a life of victory, a life of fullness, a life of joy. And so there were giants in Canaan. There are no giants in heaven, bless your heart. There were battles to be fought in Canaan. There will be no battles in heaven. The people of God experienced defeat in Canaan. There was sin in Canaan. There will be no sin or defeat in heaven. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like? Man, I tell you what. But Canaan symbolizes this fullness of life where my possessions lie. It is entering into that fullness, everything that is mine by virtue of the redemption of Jesus Christ. 
Red Sea, salvation experience, crossing over into life. Jordan River, crossing into abundant life. Now let me make this personal. For most of my life, for most of my ministry life, as a senior pastor, and now the last nine years as a, a CEO of a not-for-profit ministry organization, most of my life, I, I came to Christ very early as a boy in, in my life, followed the Lord in believer's baptism, grew up in the church. I've told you that, that I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church all my life. <laughs> you know, I just, that's all I ever did. I went to college and seminary. This is the life that, that, that I knew. My father was a pastor and a director of missions, and, and, and I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. But I came to a point in a time in 2012 after having moved to Florida to be the CEO of Agape Flights. One of your members who's here today was on, uh, at that time was on our board of directors, Art McInnich. And I realized through this, a series of events, my father was in the, in the process of leaving this life and going to the next. I'd lost my wife in 2005, my mother in 2006, my dad in 2012. Walking into his room the last week of his life, going to Missouri to see my father for the last time, and the words of his voice still ring out in my heart. He had been in a coma for three days. He woke up because I, I guess because I came in the room or the Lord woke him up, but he looked at me and he said, you're not right with God. Boy, that was a really nice welcome, Dad. But it was truthful. It wasn't that, that I was living in open, flagrant sin. It wasn't that I was doing. It was that God was not working in my life because I was not living this life, this exchange life. I was going really through the motions. I could get up and preach a sermon. I could lead an organization. But I would tell you that inside of me, I was sad. I was depressed. I was hurting. My wife had been praying for me, and I didn't even know it. She'd been praying that God somehow would, would, would give me a joy that was unspeakable. God began to work in my life on June the 12th. I'll never forget that day as long as I live. Some that I've shared this story with said, man, you, you probably just got saved June the 12th, 2012. No, I didn't. I was saved a long time ago. But I began to understand what Jesus is saying in this passage that in this life right now, to know Jesus real and to know the fullness of life right now, to understand that he has been preparing me, that there are two stages in this life, that, that we are saved and sustained, but oftentimes we are not satisfied. There is no power. There, there is this on and off kind of roller coaster experience. There was no consistency or no victory, no life of abundance. 
And the reason this scripture has such meaning for me is that when I read this, I understand that it was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a celebration of the desert wanderings. I wonder how often or how many of you are in the desert like I was. You know you're saved, but there's no peace. There's no victory. There's no abiding joy. You have occasions of victory, but you cannot really say you are living this abundant, exchanged life. And, and all of a sudden, you, you understand you're in the wilderness. You know you're saved. You know if you were to die, thank God, you're going to heaven. But this life right now is a life of defeat, nagging habits, of not really experiencing Jesus Christ real as Lord of your life. And over and over again, I would read the writings of Paul when he would say that there is much more than simply being saved. Ladies and gentlemen, I agree with what Dr. Van Sabner said. He said, some of us are so dignified when, when in fact we're petrified. Man, that is a, that is a, a old old quotation from a pastor that is now in heaven but listen to me the church you the church not this building you we are to be alive in christ we are to be walking with christ and the abundant life is walking inside that door and beginning to live out all of the treasures that god has provided for us by grace through faith Every word that we sang this morning, God was reverberating in my heart and soul that the way that you come into that abundant life is through the filling and the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. John 16 says that the reason Jesus has given the Holy Spirit to us is so that the Holy Spirit may take what Jesus is and give it to us. Jesus is everything. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is everything. How then can we appropriate, how can we come into contact that which is Jesus? The Holy Spirit indwells me. Amen? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says when you came to Christ that the Holy Spirit makes his abode or dwells within you. Says that the Holy Spirit will take of mine and give it unto you. So that the Holy Spirit is the channel between the first and the second stage. Now stay with me. The Holy Spirit is the channel through which all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has floods into my very being, helping me to experience this life more abundant here and now. Right now. It is my relationship to the Holy Spirit then that determines my life of fullness. How do I come into that? Let's read these verses one more time. On the day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, now this is a feast of tabernacles, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive for, as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want to give you five things real quickly this morning. 
right from the scripture. This is not going to be profound or prolific in any way. It's going to be five suggestions. They're right up here. If you have your notes, I want you to fill in the blank and I want you to write these down. Not because I'm saying them, but because in just a few moments, these are going to begin to make sense to you, I believe. First of all, there must be an appetite. Now, you can look at me and tell that I like to eat. Now, if you saw me a few years ago, you could really tell I like to eat. Because a few years ago, I was a little, I was a little heftier. My mom, my mom used to say about me, she would say, he's just big boned. <laughs> Can I tell you something? That's just a nice way of saying he's fat. <laughs> he likes to eat. Um, on the first cruise that I ever went on, I did a Bible study cruise, and my late wife and I did this Bible study cruise out of New Orleans, and, and we were so excited because we were going to have, I, I was, she was a piano player, we were going to lead worship, we were going to do this Bible study cruise. Do you know how many pounds I'd, I gained on my first cruise? Twelve. I gained twelve pounds in five days. Lord, everything they had was good. Oh, man, I ate everything inside. They fed you seven times a day. Well, I mean, they had that buffet at midnight. You got to go. That food's going to waste. <laughs> you got to have an appetite, ladies and gentlemen. God always meets people at the level of their expectation, but it's also true that God meets his people at the level of their desire. Jesus is saying that right here in this verse, if you thirst, come to me. The first step is an appetite, a thirst to know the fullness of Jesus in our lives. God cannot do anything with a man or a woman who does not have hunger and thirst. Let me say a couple of things real quickly. They're, they're simple things. If you are miserable right now as a Christian, if you, are, if you are longing, if there is a tearing within you that yearns and longs to know more about the fullness of the Lord in your life, to have a Christian life that really amounts to something, I've got great news for you today. The Spirit of God is already doing a work in your life. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. There must be a thirst. One of the greatest disappointments in my life has been my Christian experience up until 2012. It was a roller coaster. I mean, I could tell you that 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 I I I, I was I was I was going going going. I'm a hardworking man. I, I would go and go and go until I couldn't go anymore. I would go home on Sunday nights, and oftentimes I would resign to the mirror. Preachers won't ever get this honest with you, but I will because you know what? I gotta be. I'm here to help you understand something. Pastors are real people too. And I would stand oftentimes in front of that mirror and say, I quit, I quit, I can't do this. People do the strangest things sometimes to preachers. Don't ever come up to a pastor four minutes before he's ready to preach and say, Pastor, I've got a list of things right here that I want to tell you that we really need to do. He can't think about that right then. Now, now I, I'm always grateful for folks who would call and say, Pastor, can I come and meet with you? Would it be possible for us? Absolutely. Can we go to lunch? Yeah. And I'll even buy it. You don't hear preachers say that too often. 
But, but I'm telling you, don't walk up to a pastor when he's sitting ready to preach and say, I, I got some complaints. Don't do that. Don't walk up to Pastor Doug 30, you know, even 30 minutes before he's going to lead worship and say, I want to talk to you about the temperature in the auditorium. Don't do that. Don't do that. You say, why not, Pastor? Because it's not the time or the place. There is a time and a place, but that's not the time. I don't know how I got off on this, but it's good. <laughs> you know, God has got to give us a holy dissatisfaction. There must be an appetite. Is there a holy dissatisfaction about you? Do you want, do you want more of what God has for you? Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you? I do. I, I got to tell you, there's a stirring in my soul right now. There's a stirring in my heart right now. I, and it, 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 it really has to do with where God has brought me to this place with you people. I don't understand this. I don't even begin to comprehend it. But I just believe with all my heart, God wants to do something unusually unusual and only something that he can get the glory for. Now, if you do not have a thirst, if you are not hungry, you need to go home and pray. You need to say, Lord, make me hungry and make me thirsty. I've stood, I've stood by the, the bedside of many, many people who were in the last stages of life dying and can I tell you, I have never, ever stood by the bed of any person who was dying who said these words, I'm hungry. I've never heard any of them say, I'm thirsty. In the last stages of physical life, you have no appetite. You have no thirst. You're preparing to die. You see, oftentimes when I meet folks in churches and I hear their, their Christian life is at that point of death. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So there's got to be an appetite. Amen? Secondly, there's got to be an approach. Look at what he says. If you thirst, let him come to me. I have underlined that little word, me, in my Bible. Let him come to me. That is the invitation of Jesus. The significant thing is that Jesus is speaking about the fullness of the Spirit. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid that some people who are thirsty and have an appetite are going to the wrong places. He doesn't say, if you're thirsty, seek an experience. He doesn't say, seek a gift. He doesn't say, Anything else, let him come to the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that. He says, if you thirst, come to me. Can I be so bold to make this so simple? Jesus is still saying the same thing. If you are thirsty, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is Christocentric. That is a theological term that means the only thing the Holy Spirit cares about is Jesus. Do you realize that every work of the Holy Spirit always magnifies the Son, the Christ, Jesus, everything. Don't ever get the idea that the Holy Spirit works solo. He doesn't. He works because everything that he does, every action that he does is to glorify King Jesus. And everything that Jesus does glorifies the Father. 
Do you see how that works? Jesus simply says, if you are thirsty, come to me. The Spirit of God is always pointing us to Jesus. Anytime anything that points you away from Jesus is not of God. Jesus stands at the center. Now, I want you to see the third thing, and it's this. There must be an appropriation. I love the way Jesus puts this. And, and I, I apologize for all of us preachers who made the filling of the Holy Spirit such a complicated matter. It is not. Notice what he said. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and do what? Huh? Come on, y'all. Help me out here. John's on it. Drink. Let him come and drink. Isn't that simple? Let him come and drink. Isn't that what he said? He said, let him come and do what? What did I just do? Yeah. You say, preacher, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to get you to respond here a little bit. <laughs> Plus, I was thirsty too, but <laughs> drinking, drinking is one of the simplest acts of human life. We do it every day, don't we? Some of you are saying, I wish I had that bottle of water. <laughs> it is easy to drink for the majority of us. It doesn't take any special giftedness. It doesn't take any special training. I know exactly what Jesus means. When you take a drink, you appropriate, you appropriate what is there. What's in here? Water. When I do this, I am appropriating what is in there. Now stay with me. Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me and take what you need. I, I, I wish I would have learned this a long time ago, ladies and gentlemen. I think I began praying in college. Lord, fill me with your spirit. I would pray. I would beg. I would plead. I would read books. I would do everything. And right there all along, Jesus simply says, if you're thirsty, Alan, come to me and drink. Let me illustrate it. Let's, let's suppose you're thirsty, and let's suppose there's a water fountain out here in the foyer, and, and you go out there and you say to yourself, I am so thirsty, self. I need to go to that water fountain, and I need to quench my thirst. And, and let's just say you go out into that hallway, and you begin to talk to yourself. And I always wonder about people that, that talk to themselves, but I really wonder about people who answer themselves. But, <laughs> but let's say after a few seconds, I see you standing by that water fountain, and you, you begin to talk to that water fountain. Water fountain, please give me a drink of water. Oh, water fountain, please. I need a drink of water. I beg you. I plead with you, water fountain. I'm not going to move. I'm going to claim a drink out of you, water fountain. Give me a drink of water. Excuse me for interrupting all your praying. But if you want a drink of water, silly, just get a drink. You can stand there all day long and beg and plead and talk to that water fountain for a drink of water. Why don't you just take a drink, friend? That is appropriation, pure and simple. Jesus said to us, if you're thirsty, come to me. 
and drink. There's a fourth thing. Look at verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers. Oh man, now, now I'm going to get excited of living water. There are true, two Greek participles in that verse. The first one, believe, is found in verse 38. That means he that continually believes. Wow. He that continually has faith on me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being shall continually flow rivers of living water. I would not give a dime a carload for once for, for all those experiences that, that never last. I've had them. I'm not preaching or teaching about an experience that you have a reaching a high for a while and then go back to the same old life, the same old emptiness, the same old defeat. The Bible indicates clearly that God wants us to live a consistently full life. And it is not a matter of having been filled with the Spirit 20 years ago. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Even in churches, I, I hear people say, man, if you'd have seen our church 20 years ago. Well, that's 20 years ago. What's, what's happening now? I always love it when someone tells me, man, you won't believe what happened at church today. Oh, that, that's what I want to hear. Listen, the scriptural pattern is for me and you to be filled every day with the Holy Spirit. A continual filling every day, a fresh filling of the Spirit. I believe that, yes, indeed, there's that initial filling of the Spirit, and then there are subsequent fillings, and they can transpire every single solitary day, sometimes multiple times during the day, every day, a hundred times a day, as is needed. The Spirit of God living in me as long as I abide in him. Jesus said that he that continually believes in me, out of him shall flow rivers continually of living water. I have learned to begin the day by saying, Lord, here I am. Fill me. Lord, I want to walk with you today. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is filling me. Do, you, do, you, do I feel anything? Not most of the time. Do I go, oh, wow. No, no. I just believe that God is true to his word. It is not a matter of feeling. It, it doesn't say that he goes on feeling good or will have the Holy Spirit. It says that if you continually believe in me, it is taking it by faith, by faith. It is the greatest liberation of my life to know what it means to believe, to take it by faith, not to worry or to fret about it. It's just to say, Father, I know it's mine and I believe you. I thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit now who indwells me and I take by faith your filling of the Spirit and I go out and I live that day in light of that abiding. He is mine and I am his. Man, that'd make a Baptist shout, ladies and gentlemen. That, that, that'll, get some, that'll get some fire in your wet wood right now because you see, listen, he is waiting for us 
to live this life. Now, let me show you the last thing. And it's the most important. There must be availability. That word keeps cropping up in my mind. You just can't get away from it. There must be availability. Jesus says, whoever continues to believe in me, out of him shall continue to flow what? Rivers of living water. I want you to get this. This is so beautiful. Jesus says the fullness of the Spirit is when rivers of living water are flowing out of you, out of me. There's one prerequisite for a river. You know what it is? A riverbed. You can't have a river flowing without a riverbed. Right now, we're watching the news down there in, in Louisiana and Mississippi and from, from even St. Louis. We know what the Mississippi River is doing right now. It's at, at tremendous levels of flood stage, but there had to be a riverbed. They tell me that 80,000, no, 80 million tons of silt of mud every day flow up and out of the Mississippi River. Isn't that amazing? Out of your life and my life. Jesus is saying, if you want the fullness of the Spirit, it means that rivers of living water are going to be flowing out of you. That indicates, ladies and gentlemen, service. Overflowing your life. Being a blessing to others. The Christian is not a reservoir in which he holds his deeper life and his deeper truth. But he is a riverbed through which, over which, the Spirit of God flows through him to meet the needs of others. I, I, almost, I almost pray that God would break some of our, 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 our levees that we have put up in our life so that out over those levees in this church, out throughout this community, in individuals' lives, in the city of Bradenton and beyond, people would begin to hear, man, First Baptist Church, we don't know exactly what's going on, but God is doing something there. It's an amazing place. Well, I'll tell you why some people are not, why people are seeking the fullness and never coming to it. It is because they simply want to be a reservoir. You know, my dad used to teach me, he said, you know, there are Christians within the church that they, they're like these people. They, they, they get all they can, they can all they get, and they sit on the can. <laughs> Y'all got that? You are intelligent folks. I've said that in many places, and people have just sat there and went, You get all you can, you can all you get, and you sit on the can. Christians are notorious about hoarding the Spirit. The Spirit was never intended for you to hoard. The Spirit was intended so that out of you would flow rivers of continual life. God put us here in order to be a blessing, a service. Some of you have been saying, it's, it's past my time of service. I did my service. Show me that in the scripture. You can't. Now, I understand people begin to get older. Hey, I'm getting older. I, I turned, oh, wow, I got a birthday in a couple weeks. Wow. 
I turned 62 in a couple of weeks, ladies and gentlemen. I know what some of you are thinking. That's, you got socks older than me. <laughs> somebody will say to me, somebody will say to me, I'm 34, and I'll just kind of shake my head, wow. I, I barely remember 34. But it doesn't matter what, what your age is. Here's what matters. Are you a riverbed? And is the river continually flowing out of you? There must be availability. Now, now we're going to enter into a time here at First Baptist Church, and you're going to hear a little more about this even later in this service. Two weeks from today, we're going to have a, a special call business session. In that session, you're going to hear a committee on committee's report or recommendation recommending some individuals out of this congregation to serve on the transitional team. That transitional team is not going to work solo or away from you. They're going to be working with you in, in coordination with you as we look at the past, as we, as we look at the present, as we look at the future. Over the course of the next several months, that transitional team is going to come back with recommendations, various things that they believe God has called them in conjunction with you to become and to do. And as they are being presented two weeks from today, today you're going to receive a sheet at the close of the service. It'll be available at the Welcome Center and the, and the resource desk out here of those people's names and, and, and how they connect here at First Baptist Church. I'm going to ask you, your first role is now to begin to pray for each one of those individuals. To say, God, use them to help us. Use them to serve us. Help us to serve them. And over the next several months, we're going to walk through. I'm going to walk through this with you. That's part of my role as, as, a, as a transitional pastor is to help you to see and to understand. I may say some things that you might not like. Love me anyhow. Talk to me. Don't, don't have me for lunch someday. You know, sometimes people have preacher for lunch. I didn't like what that preacher said today. Don't. Don't tell everybody around. Talk to me about that. You know, talk to me about that. Because you may be right. Maybe I did misspeak. And I'll be glad to stand up and say, you know what, folks? I misspoke. I'm sorry. But I will tell you this. That together, if we work together, if we will come together in this transitional period, in this process, I think all of us will look back and go, God did that. God used that to bring us here. Now, I'm not going to give you the future. I don't have a crystal ball and all of that. But I do know this, that if we're going to be all that we should be in this process, we have to listen to what Jesus said this morning. We have to be filled. We have to experience the fullness of the Spirit. Can I tell you something? Anytime I have ever met anyone in a church that was mean or cantankerous, yes, even in a church, 
they didn't understand or they were not experiencing the fullness of the Spirit. So many times I've found folks that they go, listen, this is my church. No, it's not. It's the Lord's church. It belongs to Him. And we are the Lord's. Do people always agree with each other? No. We know the answer to that. You can come to my house and find out that me and Jennifer don't always agree. She gets right a lot of times. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I get right a lot of times. Sometimes I have to say, sweetheart, you were right. I'm sorry. I was wrong. She says it occasionally because she's not wrong very often. But just like in a family, we're going to have to come together and say, God, you're right. I surrender. I need you to fill me with your spirit, Lord. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I have this appetite. And Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come drink. Come drink. I want you this morning to answer these questions, and I close. The motive for being filled with the Spirit is not my own personal enjoyment, but it's divine employment so that God can use me to be a blessing to others. I want to ask you, are you stuck out in the wilderness? Are you living a life right now that is empty? Are you just kind of going through the motions? Everything that God wanted you to be when he saved you and everything that God has promised you as one of his saved ones lies across the river. We marked last Sunday with those stones. If you are willing, I'm going to ask you, will you begin to pray beginning today in this process? God, pastor told us that, and your word tells us that if we're thirsty, you said that out of us would flow rivers of overflowing rivers of water, rivers of blessing. I want that in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, I want when we come into this room, I want on Sunday mornings for us to come expecting, saying, I wonder who God is going to save today. I wonder who is going to join the church today. I wonder who is going to follow Christ in believer's baptism. I wonder what God is going to do at First Baptist Church. And if you will come with that level of expectation, can I tell you, you will never, ever walk away dissatisfied. God wants to do great things in and through this body. But we have to be a people who say, Lord, fill me with your spirit.